I can indeed. How I'm are you, doing sir? well. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. Thank you. Long time no I see, know. no talk huh? to, all that good stuff. Yes, indeed. How's the world treating you? You know, it's it's good. It's uh, It's been... I have a little girl coming this year, so I decided to kind of step away so I could start my family finally. I think uh, after 19 years, basically on the road, uh, it's it's been kind of a breath of fresh air to sit down and, and watch a game as a fan, you know? It, it must take, I know, on a much different level. I know I didn't stop playing until I was like 38, 39, but it, it is hard when you stop to kind of the, the world keeps spinning so do you watch it as a, a fan or do you watch it as a critic or how, how, when you're watching the I, game? I say all of the above you know because um, after playing you know I, I played for four, about 14 years all together and then I managed for three years um, in the Cubs system so I'm now seeing start you know some of those players get get their opportunity in the big leagues which makes me a huge fan um, obviously I think you, you, you know, there's a lot going on in the game right now that everybody can be really critical of. So I think that's where, you know, you, you, there's, it's a new way that they play. Um, and I don't know if it's here to stay, but, uh, it's something that we all have to adapt to, I think. So, yeah, I think it's here to stay. Unfortunately, there's too many people that are pushing for, uh, making, you know, changes, speeding up the game, you know, so all these little nuances that are getting added with extra innings and, you know, pitchers, you know, facing the three hitters, et cetera, and bigger bags and pitch clocks and all this other stuff that's kind of on deck. Um, I don't know. I, every time I have this discussion, they, I always feel like I'm that guy telling people to get off my lawn. But uh, um, sometimes I just think – just leave things the way they are. The game's in pretty good shape. It's um, good players, you know, so changes for the sake of change sometimes can kind of mess things up. I and, think. and, you know, the, the hardest thing for me is is watching the direction that it's going and um, and you see the root of where it's coming from. Like, I, 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 after I left the Cubs about this time last year, like right before spring training started, and I went to go work for my old agent. So I kind of, I, I was on that, that amateur ball circuit and, you know, kind of the higher level one. And they're, they're not developing players anymore. And that's that they're not developing baseball players. They're developing tools. And it was, it was eye-opening for me to kind of piece everything together coming from being a manager to now being on that side of it and understanding why some of these players don't know how to play the game when they get to professional baseball. Um, well, that's exactly why I wanted to, uh, to have you on because upon learning about you being a, a manager and, and, and subsequently going to work with regard to the agency slash advisor and, and seeing, you know, current student athletes, I think you have a lot to offer and one of the greatest things about the Twitter space platform is that it allows us to rebroadcast in podcast form for those people that don't get to join us tonight, you know, like from the West sure. Coast. So uh, I think I think it's going to be valuable insight, especially for the parents and the student athletes that are kind of at that age right now, that 14 to 15 year old year. 
you know, where they're in the game, but they're just getting to the high school level and everybody's worried about college recruiting. Right. So that's kind of the, the dynamic that we're going to cover. No, so, that's great. Um, and uh, Tyler said to say, please say hello. Uh, his words exactly quote, the best that I've ever had catch. Um, energetic, enthusiastic, and really knew how to control you know, the energy, my energy as, as a pitcher. So uh, he said to say hello. They just announced that they were having a, a baby today. Um, do they know what they're having? So uh, they do not as of okay. yet. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't even know if that's a thing now. I'm sure that it is. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I've had, I have a grandson uh, with my oldest son, Kyle, and my daughter-in-law, Rochelle. Uh, they were going back and forth whether they wanted to know, didn't want to know. And, you know, I, I'm kind of feeling that Tyler and Allie are kind of feeling the same way. But, uh, um, you know, her family is very involved back in Texas. Oh, yeah. So, no. It, it, it's uh, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, one of those things that I guess you just decide. I, I, I think from from my experience, it's best to just let, let her decide how that goes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's exactly how it works in that, in that arena i can tell you that for sure so i'm sure you remember uh allie and your time with richmond and all that good stuff so i'm gonna let everybody know tonight um this definitely will be available via podcast um you know and a lot of parents have asked i have a couple of questions here and i'll do my best to get to all the questions for for steve um we'll go about 60 minutes tonight steve and this is uh the Masters of Baseball is the platform by which we try and both Butch, myself, as well as Brian and Brad, we just simply try to help parents access information and educate parents as to the realities uh, and some of our opinions on the state of the game and the direction of the game with regard to the youth baseball landscape. Um you know, this is a very positive forum. Anything that was asked that I didn't feel was um, for the would be a benefit to student athletes and families. It's too subjective, and and to try and get a guest to to say who he likes and who he doesn't <laughs> like and what type of player he prefers. I mean, that kind of puts people on the spot. Right. So um, uh, I try to avoid that. And Tyler just sent me a message because he's at the ballpark and said to say, "Hey." Uh, I, I'm going to be listening, so bring your A game, is what he said. So, I'll do so my best. for those of you that are, are not aware of, of, you know, we talk a lot about college players and travel ball and so forth, but I thought tonight we would take a perspective uh, of a true professional athlete. And by that I mean someone that has played. Uh, the game at the professional level for close to 14 to 15 years, Um, you know, having been drafted back in 2003. And I mean, the process has been a long, uh, the journey has been a long one. So Steve LaRude, uh, as a catcher, I was fortunate enough as a dad to have uh, my youngest son, Tyler, who at the time was a pitcher at the AA level in the Eastern League for the Richmond Flying Squirrels. And we were both really excited because Steve was a former major league uh, catcher. Um, and so bringing some, uh, some wisdom and some guidance a la Crash Davis um, and definitely had a tremendous effect 
on Tyler specifically in that 2016 season. So I want to welcome aboard Steve LaRue. Thank you tonight for joining us, Steve. It's an absolute pleasure to have you join no, us. No, uh, thank you guys for having me. I, I, uh, I've admired you guys from afar on, on the social media spaces for a while, so I'm, I'm glad to, uh, to help out any way I can and be a part of your guys' uh, community you have here. Well, Butch tells us you're, you're, you were quite the hitter. Um, so he speaks with high regard with, and I know how you were as a catcher, you know, from my perspective, but Butch as a major league scout tells me that you were, uh, you were a guy that could find a barrel pretty consistently. So an offensive catcher in today's game would get paid pretty handsomely. So um, we appreciate you taking the time. And I want to start off tonight, Steve, by, by asking a question from a parent uh, at what age did it become apparent to you or your family that your skill sets were above average? Like, when did you know, like, hey, this is something that I might want to take to the college level or potentially uh, to the major league draft level? At what what age? It would, and again, you're from Reno, Nevada. Yeah, right? yeah. Born, born and raised up. in Reno, Nevada. I think my, my path was, was a little unique in the fact that I didn't even start playing baseball until I was 10 years old, which um, I think when you look at today's landscape and the way that it works, a lot of kids feel kind of weeded out already if they haven't, you know, played travel ball from eight U on. Um, so I didn't start playing little league until I was 10. Um, I, I really just did it because I, I, I enjoyed playing football, but I was, I was a little bit bigger than everybody. So I had to play, I always had to play a, a year up. So I never got to play with my friends. So baseball was an opportunity for me to play with my friends. And uh, um, I, I was good in Little League. I, I, was, I was a better player. But um, I wouldn't say that anything really, really came into my mind that, that this was something that I could pursue um, as far as, you know, getting an education or, or making money until probably my, my sophomore year of high school. Um, I was playing on a, a pretty high profile high school. My, my high school baseball team was one of the, one of the better teams in the country at the time. We had a lot of division one commits and, and that subsequently was my opportunity to get seen by a lot of people. And, and I performed well. So I I'd say right around then was when I started getting more attention from, from colleges and, you know, maybe a questionnaire here and there from scouts. And I think that's when my parents and I really sat down and, and thought that this was, this was something to, to really, really pursue. Now, you mentioned that you didn't start until 10. Coincidentally, I never started playing organized until 10 years old. And if you, as a, as a dad, just because I want to have some perspective, do you feel there's any value with playing in a, an organized or competitive environment prior to the age, let's say from eight, to five, five to eight years old. Do you feel there's any benefit that can be derived in any way with regard to skill set development? I mean, maybe playing in, in the backyard, hitting off the tee. Um, I think, you know, in those those very young years, that that's when you do probably get ahead of the game as far as hand-eye coordination, um, learning how to throw things. But for, I mean, I, I think that I learned how to throw by throwing rocks into the pond or, um, I think I, I learned a lot. I was I was in martial arts growing up from the age of five. I was I was a terror for my parents, so they put me in martial arts to try and get some of the energy out. 
And I think that's where I learned a lot of footwork and stuff. So I think that doing everything from those ages, even until, like I said, I didn't start till I was 10, but, but really pursuing a lot of different interests develops that skill set for, for a lot of different sports, because baseball does have so many different movement patterns involved in it that you do need basketball. You do need football art, martial arts for myself and, and footwork and catching um, football, throwing a football, throwing a baseball. I think a lot of stuff um, kind of manifests into baseball. And, and that's why I think it's so important that these kids play multiple sports. I mean, up until they, they really have to make that decision. Now, at what age did you become uh, officially a catcher? Um, <clears throat> officially, probably, uh, honestly, so when I, when I tried out for Little League when I was 10, um, I hadn't really played before, so nobody else wanted to catch because they didn't want to get hit by the ball, and I just wanted to play. So I, I told them that I would catch, Um so that, that's when I really first started catching. So I caught, you know, through, um, I guess, Babe Ruth. I don't know what they, what, what's equivalent to that now. But uh, <laughs> yeah, in today's world, that would be like a 13 or 14 U or 15 U type. Sure. Yeah. So, so. I, I caught, you know, kind of exclusively through there. But then I, I was on varsity as a freshman. Our catcher was, you know, going to be a division one player. So. I ended up having to play third, first, and some outfield. So I think really when I finally stuck was was my sophomore year, and that's when I, I really started kind of honing my skills back there. Now, this is one of my favorite topics because I, as a catcher, and you know, I have my oldest was a catcher, but I always try to get parents to, or more importantly, the student athletes to understand the value of catching bullpens. Can you just speak to the the value of the repetition as far as with regard to not only hand strength, but, you know, understanding the zone, you know, how to get the thumb, the, just the value of catching bullpens, not only as a younger catcher, but, you know, trying to catch some of the older guys, just nobody wants to get behind there because they get intimidated by the gear, but it's a great position. It's a fun position once you begin to learn the, the smaller nuances. So do you feel like bullpens and, and, and how did you train yourself to kind of become that really good receiver? I, I think the, the most important thing is mentally putting yourself in a game situation, understanding that infielders get their ground balls every day. Outfielders get their fly balls. Um, you know, pitchers get their flat grounds in every day. The bullpen is the only chance a catcher gets to replicate game situations if they can mentally put themselves there. Um, so that that was always something I was fortunate to be around when, when I first got drafted. A lot of um, former catchers in, in Tom Prince and Jeff Bannister, who, I mean, were instrumental in my development in my career. And that was the one thing that, I didn't know how to do when I got to Pro Bowl. I had no idea what it was because I think, you know, there, there did become a point in Northern Nevada where I came from that my talent really did just, it, it, it was better than, than the competition. And, and I didn't have to learn certain things, which, which caught up to me when I got to Pro Bowl. Um, so mentally being able to put yourself in a game situation so you can get, the the right reactions down 
um, whether it be blocking, you know, understanding the route that I need to take to the ball to, to keep it in the zone, um, putting yourself in situations where I'm going to go through my footwork on this pitch and I need to, I need to do it game speed thinking that this runner is going. Um, that, that, that's the only chance a catcher gets to, to replicate those situations until you're in the game. So I think that's, that's one of the most important parts of catching because mentally it is such a demanding position. And if you can't keep up mentally, you're, you're not going to be able to, to help the guy on the mound and, and you're probably not going to win that game. So one of the things that you just alluded to a little bit earlier, um, as you go out and look in today's baseball, youth baseball landscape, we, we as parents always hear the word development. You know, we, you know, you've got to develop and we have, we, we have the ability to develop your son and help him become a varsity baseball player. I, I agree with you with regard to we're creating um, kind of this lazy man business model of age by age by age. And so the competitive environment is the, the development piece is going to suffer because it's 11 versus 11 or 13 versus 13. It's not that Babe Ruth model that maybe you grew up with that I grew up with where it had 13 through 15 and American Legion had 14 through 18 and obviously, you know, high school and college. Can you talk about from a developmental standpoint, what types of things that you might like to see brought back with regard to youth baseball and practices and, and so forth? Yeah. I mean, I, I, um, yeah, I could go a lot of routes here. Um, I think. Take, take the one you want and kind of, because I know you, you have the right kind of vision and I want parents sure. to hear that. Yeah. I, I think from, from the youth standpoint, some of the, some of the terms that we're putting on these kids, um, I think creates a lot of pressure. I was at a tournament this last week and I've been working with a group out here, um, down in Phoenix and, we were playing in the elite category of the 11U tournament. Um, I don't know if anybody's watched 11U baseball lately, but I don't care if you're the best player or the worst player, you're probably not elite yet. That's, that's a very, that's a, that's a hefty phrase to put on these kids at 11 years old, because I think that it just creates pressure. Um, from that standpoint, I don't understand what, putting all of the best players together on one team from, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. I don't know what it's teaching them in terms of being a leader, being, being the best guy on the team that has to get, get the guys that maybe aren't as good as you up, up to speed, learning how to work on a team. Um, I always tell kids this whenever I get a chance to work with them that, being a good teammate and being respected by your teammates is much more important than being the best player, because no matter how long you play the game, you're going to be something else a lot longer. You're going to be a father, a son, a husband, um, a coworker. So from that standpoint in the youth, the youth landscape right now, when, when we're putting all these kids together who are all the best players, I don't understand what we're really developing anymore because they're going to beat up on the teams that aren't as good and they're really not challenging themselves and they're also not learning anything as far as 
is how, how to lead, how, how to be a good teammate, how, how to work through adversity, things, things that are actually life lessons. Um, that, that's something that I, I would like to see changed. And I think that that's something, you know, the old Little League model, model where you played, you know, a 10-year-old could be playing with a 12-year-old. And that 12-year-old, if he was the best player, he had the, you know, I remember being a freshman in high school on the varsity for the first time. And I'll be honest, I was scared. I didn't, I didn't know. I was playing with guys who were 18. I was 14. <laughs> um, but I remember, you know, having those guys, you know, take their arm around me and really help me and, and get me through those first few games because I struggled. And, and it turned out to be um, a challenge for me, but, but I was able to make that adjustment because I, I had good support there. So I, I don't think that kids get to learn how to do that anymore um, in little league and, and at those young ages. One of the things that a parent is asking, do you remember having to catch the first pitcher that you thought through really hard and how did you prepare mentally with regard to, not panicking or being, you know, your hand hurting, et cetera. That's the gist of the question. Yeah, um, I, I do. Um, my, let's see, I was in eighth grade and I was working out in a facility that a bunch of the high school guys would go to in Northern Nevada there. And it was just a big warehouse. And um, a professional guy had come in named Brady Raggio, who had just signed to go over to Japan um, he was in the Yankees farm system, I believe for, for a while or Diamondbacks somewhere. Um, this is a long time ago, but the guy who was giving me the hitting lessons at the time or that I was working out with, he, Brady came in, he needed to throw a bullpen before he went to Japan and, and he volunteered me. Um, <laughs> at that point it was too late to say no. So I strapped it on and, and, uh, I think the, the, the biggest piece of advice I can give is you, you have to relax. You have to, you have to really, really relax because the more tense that you get and the more that you try to fight that ball, um, the, the, the harder it's going to be because you, you start stabbing, you're closing distance, you're losing time, um, relaxing, breathing. And I think you, you, you get used to the speed of it um, within a few pitches, but uh, again, putting yourself there mentally and fighting through some things is is definitely part of that position. Do you remember as a catcher um, at the younger levels today, then versus today, what do you think is the biggest difference? Meaning, do you see smaller catches? Do you see more athletic catchers? What What do you think is missing from the position itself with regard to skill set development um i i think we're watching a lot of the stuff guys are doing on tv as far as the setups and and we're getting way ahead of ourselves understanding that these guys in the big leagues the majority of them didn't learn how to catch that way at that age and it's really hard to do um a lot of the things that these guys are are doing on tv at the youth level because they don't know where the ball is really going to be pitched anyways. So, well, can you, I, that's one of the things that I wanted you to kind of discuss. So I'm not going to pick on the one knee down no. guys or anything like that, but I, I'm, I want you to go in that direction with regard to 
as a professional or a high-level college catcher, you kind of have an awareness or an understanding of how each guy throws, who has the ability to spike a fastball, who's going to bury a slider. But at the younger levels, you have no idea what your pitcher is capable or incapable of. So can you talk to that as far as with regards to set up, how to kind of balance and receive, you know, emulation may not necessarily be the best course of action, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Not in today's game. I I think it's hard because like, like we were saying, the, the pitchers, their command isn't there. Those guys on TV, they've caught thousands and thousands of pitches from these pitchers and they know how their ball moves. They, they know how it's going to react in the zone. They know the hitters. Um, it's a little different at the youth level because, like I said, the, the pitcher doesn't have the command yet, and the catchers physically can't can't get in a lot of the positions to defend themselves even from from getting hurt in those one knee one knee stances. Um, I, I'm I'm traditional with with my catchers. I that I that I like to work with in in teaching them the way that I learned how, which is you know, square up to your pitcher in a, in a nice base. My biggest thing is learning to control where my head is. If I can keep my head under my butt, I'm going to have balance. You see a lot of kids, they, they get that head out there over their knees, and, and that's where you see a lot of balls kind of, they, they lose balance, and balls get to the backstop. The ones that go high, they can't get to anymore. They can't really do anything laterally. Um, so the with young catchers, I, I really like to, to focus on kind of, understanding where where my body weight is and and how to use my big muscles and keep my balance um that that is really important in in being able to to not get hit by the ball in places you you don't want to get hit um which is the biggest challenge for me that i've seen in in getting these these young kids to to want to catch it's not human nature to sit there and uh have somebody throw objects at you as hard as they can. So well, while somebody's swinging a bat in front of you. So the finding the right, you know, finding the, big, the right positions. For the them, big yeah. thing, right. The big thing is, is when I work with younger catchers and we try to talk about blocking a ball and how to do those types of things, you know, everybody thinks about pop time to second <laughs> and, you know, blocking a ball and you try to tell them the other nuances to catching now, Obviously, if your son is not a pitcher, you don't really understand the true value of, of a really good catcher, a guy that's keeping a ball in front, keeping it close to his body, being able to be quiet with your hands, strong with your hands at the same time. So when you're watching a youth baseball game, well, let's take it from the pro level. They see a lot of movement of the glove now. You see a lot of guys. You know, I used to call it trying to funnel a ball back to the middle, but these guys now are literally snapping balls in, snapping them down, you know, bringing them, yanking them up. Are are we really fooling these umpires? I mean, is this really what we want to be doing with regard to catching, um, you know, teaching that kind of movement pattern with your glove? I I don't think so, no. Um, And to be honest, I don't know how many guys actually sit there and, and ask the pitcher if they like throwing to that um, because it has become so analytically driven. So I think at the pro level, I, I don't fault the guys for doing it because they're getting paid if they're good at it. And, and that's, that's where I think there's a little disconnect because is the pitcher performing? That's, that's the catcher's job. And the, the issue that I have with some of it is, 
we talk about how good everybody's stuff is now, how, how great everybody's ball spins, how much it moves. And we're acting like games are really, really decided between a borderline call, call to strike for Garrett Cole, a guy like Garrett Cole who can throw 100 miles an hour with amazing breaking stuff. We're, we're going to act like that guy's going to lose a game based on one pitch that a catcher brought back into the zone. I don't think that that's realistic. I think that we're, um, we're valuing it too much to where we're giving up a lot of extra bases that are, that are costing pitchers more runs in the long run. Can you speak to the past ball versus the wild pitch? Meaning a parent is asking, now I, I get it, a parent of a pitcher, I know where this parent is coming from, so I completely understand. Nobody really cares about your earn run average and all this, but at the end of the day, you're starting to see a lot of balls, you know, where catchers have their, they're down on that one knee. The chest is kind of sliding to the side, almost to push the ball towards the first base side. The ball are bouncing away from the catchers. Can you just talk about what it takes from your chest? I used to teach it as blowing out birthday candles, but blocking a baseball what you're trying to do with regard to the direction of the ball, softening of the ball, and what's the value of keeping it close within your throwing circle, I guess we used to call it. Yeah, exactly. Um, For me, it's not a block if I gave up 90 feet. If I, if I can't make a play on that baseball with, with a real opportunity to, if that guy made the right read, um, I, I have to be able to, to keep it within, within, throwing distance, right. Um, to be able to move my feet a little bit and get it there. My, my theory was always, I didn't really try to create too many angles. I tried to keep my shoulders square with the pitching rubber because that was where I wanted the ball to go. Obviously you can't do that on every pitch. There's going to be some sliders that get to the right that you have to kind of, you have to jockey a little bit back, back funneled back towards the plate. Um, same with like a left-handed slider or right-handed changeup, but for, for the most part, I, I really tried to focus on keeping my shoulders square and not fight the ball. Because when you do start to turn those shoulders too much and try to try to really fight that thing, you're impacting it, almost hitting it. And now I can't make a play on it. It's too far away from me. Um, the biggest thing for me was trying to stay as low to the ground as I could. Um, in, in my, in my pre-pitch even, because I felt like that gave me uh, it was almost, it's almost like a load in a swing, right? Like I had a short one. I felt like catching, you see some guys that like to kick back. I feel like the, uh, you know, they jump up and kick back. That's a larger load for me. You see some of these guys that can just drop on the ball. They can just really replace their, their knees with their feet. And, and th- those guys are, are special. Like a guy like Jose Trevino was, was amazing at that for a long time before and he's gone down to a lot of the one knee stuff now too, but he was one of the guys that I, I really watched um, blocking wise as, as a smaller catcher. I think that's the, that's the beauty of it is um, catching comes in all shapes and sizes. Like I was watching Alejandro Kirk catch today for the blue Jays against <laughs> Kyle Higashioka, who, I mean, you talk about different body types, um, but I, I think there are some fundamentals. And for me, it does start with kind of my head positioning and, and understanding how, how long it takes me to get down to the ground. Now, do you feel with regard to you now on the outside and and doing evaluation, you know, albeit within the younger levels, 
what are some of the things or techniques that catchers can do on their own? Because we're always telling parents, you know, whether it's uh, throwing balls off a wall for ground balls, throwing balls off a roof and letting it roll off and catching it for fly balls, et cetera, hitting, you know, acorns or things with your broomsticks. What are, what are some drills, if there are any, that you can, you know, that you can share that younger catchers can help whether it's developing arm strength, receiving, blocking, et cetera, what are some drills that you could kind of share with them uh, at the younger, younger age? Yeah. Um, I think one of the best drills that, that I like to use with, with young kids and I, I, I find a lot of value in it because I think a lot of the things involved in catching are evolved around my glove movement. Um, when I go to block, my glove is going to go first. My glove has to find, you know, I have to find the pocket of my glove to get to that ball and, and catch it in the right spot. So I, I do a drill that you take two balls and you just get really close. Not, I mean, not, not super close, maybe about three feet away from each other, just on your knees and you flip the ball back and forth. And when the ball is in the air, I'm catching it. And then some of them you can roll. So when I roll that ball, my glove's going to turn over. And that's, that's the position I want to be in when I'm going to go block. So I'm not really using my lower half yet. I'm just using, I'm just working on my glove reactions. Catch, catch. When that ball goes down to the ground, I'm going to turn it over. I think the hardest thing to get um, the, the younger players to do is learning the glove movement on the ball that I need to block to my right because you do turn your glove over a different way that a lot of them play infield and that's their backhand side. So um, that that's where the drill I think has a ton of value for these guys is, is just learning how, how to use my glove and then my body will follow. That, that's a big one for me. Another one that I used to like to do um, just on my own is, is find a wall with a ball and I would just go through my footwork. I'd find a, I'd put a square on the wall and some electrical tape and I would go through my footwork and throw that ball into the, into the square. And for me, the feedback that I would get is if that ball came right back to me, if I was able to stay in my stance and field that ball and go through my footwork again, I was on, I was on the right line and, and my throw had, had the right carry on it and everything. Um, so that was one that I would do, and I, I would keep doing that, you know, five or ten in a row, um, to to see how good, how many you could get in a row. Um, I think that's how you become consistent is is working on the boring things. Um, baseball is is such a re- repetitive sport that if if you don't have the fundamentals mastered, you, you'll never be able to make the amazing plays either. And and that's such a really huge point that you try to convey getting good at the simple things really matters you know not just being you know good at the great you know play every once in a while being consistent as you know specifically as a catcher uh is extremely important for a variety of reasons with regard to flow of the game handling a pitching staff etc i have a young catcher that asked is asking he says my thumb is always hurting when I play catch with the older players. How, and when I am receiving as a catcher, what is my thumb position? When, if I'm calling for a fastball, how do I want to receive the ball that's in the center of my chest? Where is my thumb? 
Your thumb is, I, I, I believe that your thumb should be pointed at about two o'clock on a, on a, on a clock. Um, when you, cause I, I feel like that position right there, the way that I, I like to think about receiving is, is kind of like hitting, um, where you do have, there's contact points, right? If I let that ball get too deep, it's going to move out of the zone. It's almost like letting a ball get too deep when I'm hitting and I foul it off. I foul it off to third base or first base. I, I think that if I catch that ball out in front, I'm presenting it a lot better and my thumb will probably be pointed, you know, somewhere at that two o'clock spot. Um, for, for me, that, that's what I believe. I also think that there's so much that can go into that. You know, the timing is, are we dealing with a kid that's dropping his glove and, and then trying to, to do some of these sweeping moves that you see? Um, a lot of the timing that can really, really get you in that, in that thumb area if, if, you're, not, if you're not perfect with, with the, uh, the way you get there every time. Well, I think a lot of the catchers that I see being worked with now are starting. Uh, there's all kinds of gadgets and gadgets. Some of them look like a triangle. They start with their glove on the ground. Uh, they come up the ramp, for lack of a better term, and they're, you know, they're getting under the ball. But their, their glove position to start um, is kind of starting you know, with the palm down on the ground. And then as the pitch is being released, they're kind of coming up. So sometimes, as you're talking about, that you can bad timing and you can start to jam a digit pretty pretty easily. How do you feel about that as as a way of, you know, from with regard to teaching the the receiving of the from low to high? How how did you how did you approach that? Where was your glove when you? So I I had I had a low setup to begin with. I I was flexible, so I was able to get down there pretty well, which was I, I was fortunate to to be able to do. Um, so I I really I. I tried to give my target as low as I could borderline bottom of the zone. Cause I felt like that was the pitch that I really wanted. So if I started there, I was giving the umpire the impression that this is where I think a strike is. And if I move up from there, then it's definitely a strike. Um, that's where I, I feel like some of the movement can, can be limited for some of these guys. Some of these guys can do it and they're really good at it. You look at a guy like real Muto who, he was a shortstop. It's a different skill set. So I don't think that it's a one size fits all thing. And I think that that that's some of the stuff that we run into now in baseball is people are trying to put a lot of absolutes on everything where this is how you do it. And not everybody is built that way. There's a reason that Barry Bonds hit the way that he did. And a reason that Paul Molitor hit the way that he did is because they had completely different skill sets. Um, and I feel like the, the same needs to be considered when, when you're implementing certain things with, with certain players. Can he do that? Is he capable of it? And, and is it going to help him? Is it going to help our team um, win baseball games is, is the biggest thing that you have to do when, when you start implementing things like that. Okay, question from the same family. When you go out to talk to a pitcher, what types of words of encouragement or what type of conversations are you having with pitchers? Are you trying to keep them in a positive mindset? Are you trying to make them distracted? What, what is the general tone of a mound conversation just between the pitcher and catcher before a coach comes out? Um, I, I think you ha that, that's where you, you have to know who your pitcher is. Who, what's his personality? Is he a guy that I can get on a little bit? 
Um, is he a guy that, that needs a pat on the butt? Um, is, is he a guy that you go out and joke with? I remember having a conversation with a guy one time in double a, um, we were playing, I was playing in Altoona, Pennsylvania, and we were playing Bowie. If you guys remember, I don't know if you guys remember Nolan Rymel, a big right-handed hitter outfielder for the Orioles for a while, had oh, a ton yeah. of power, had a ton of power. Um, but the pitcher's name was Derek Hankins and Nolan hit a ball about, about to the, uh, the parking garage in left center off Hankins. And after he hit it, I just started walking out. He was having a, he was having a really good game before and Derek starts walking towards me and I didn't say a word to him. I watched the ball land. I laughed at him and then I walked back. And he ended up going four scoreless after that we won the game. So that's like a situation where you turn something bad, you know, hey, dude, guess what? He, he got you there. Laugh, laugh it off. Let's get back after it. He had that personality, right? Um, I remember, I remember uh, this was when I was in the major leagues in Philadelphia. Roy Halladay's pitching and Carlos Ruiz is catching. And Roy's having a tough time. And uh, Charlie Manuel keeps yelling at Rich Doobie to go out there and go talk to Roy. And if you guys know anything about Roy Halladay, that, that, that's not what Roy wanted. He didn't want to have anybody tell him what to do right about then. So Charlie's yelling at Carlos to go out there and talk to him. Carlos goes, nope. He shakes his head. Go talk to him. Nope. Charlie says it one more time. Carlos looks at him and he goes, you go talk to him. You do it. Not me. So you have, you have those intense guys that, you know, no, I'm not going to go talk to him. I'm going to let him figure it out. Um, obviously, you have guys that, they, you know, you do have to put your, you have to put your arm around them and let them know it's going to be all right and, and maybe give them a cue that, that you've been working on in the bullpen. That's another reason why catching those bullpens are so, so important for a catcher is understanding what they're working on, understanding how, how their stuff is moving. Um, every time I ever went to a new team, I, I would sit in the bullpen for the first three days to make sure that I at least caught everybody once so that when I got in a game, I, I knew what, I, what to expect and I could help them as best as I could. I think that is so vital when, when you're talking about this stuff. But again, getting back to, to the mound visits, create that relationship with your pitcher so that you can go have a real conversation with him and know what he needs you need to know who that person is and and what makes him tick on that i want to kind of discuss a little bit because you brought it up um it kind of a borderline crash davis i mean we're talking about uh what eight nine teams that you played for in the course of your career so you have to have a passion it it, it is not easy to be a professional baseball player. It is not easy to be a minor league baseball player. Everybody thinks it's a glamorous life, but to do it for that amount of time as a professional athlete, that takes dedication. That takes passion. That takes a true love for the sport. Can you just, I think it's missing from the, from the younger levels of baseball. I think we're trying to, move everybody at warp speed to get into this elite, advanced, upper-level, uber-competitive environment where you're ranked and we're talking recruiting. and it, So we're never talking about 
Who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite team? What do you love about the game? What do you love about the position? What do you love about the sport? Can you talk to that as far as being a journeyman, true journeyman at the professional level and the love and the deep appreciation you have for the skill to be a baseball player? No, I mean, I'm glad that you that you brought that up because I I got the love for it by playing as a kid without any of that. Um, that that's where I gained the love for the game is I learned that I, that I, that I might want to play baseball by riding my bike out to the sandlot with my friends in the neighborhood. And they invited me to come play and I turned out to be pretty good. Now there's a high school there. Um, but that, that's where the love came from and um, watching the game with my dad. And we, we were big giants fans, San Francisco giants fans growing up. I'm obviously coming from Reno. So emulating my favorite players. I, I remember playing wiffle ball in the backyard with my friends and I would, I would, we'd act like we were Barry Bonds or, or Ken Griffey Jr. Um, so the love for the game came from that. And I remember, obviously I, I took a different route. I, I signed out of high school. I had a scholarship, a full ride scholarship to Santa Clara university. Um, but I wanted to be a baseball player and I, I knew that. And it's funny because I come from a, I come from an, both my parents are educators. My mom was a special ed teacher for 30 years. And my, uh, my father was a high school English teacher before he got into the banking business. But for me, that's where the passion was. I wanted, I knew that I was going to Santa Clara because I wanted to play baseball. And these people wanted to let me go play baseball for a living. And that's, that, that's where the passion came from though was sitting out there in that sandlot thinking about how cool it would be to be a baseball player one day. Um, and then to that point, I, once I got there, I wasn't going to stop until I made it to the major leagues. And it took my third organization to get there, but that's a goal that I had set for myself. And, and I'm stubborn. If anybody is that's, that's on this knows me at all, they know that I'm stubborn and, and you're not going to keep telling me no. And, um, but again, that that's, that's the passion that, that came from that sandlot, those little league fields. I, uh, I'll never forget when I was 11 years old, I made the hooligan all-star team in little league and we lost in the championship game and I didn't get to play an inning of the whole tournament, um, for whatever reason, but I didn't get to. And, and I was sitting there with my dad on there. It's funny. Um, I was sitting there with him after the game and, I'll never forget telling him that that will never happen to me again. I'm going to make sure that they don't have a choice, but to play me. And, and that was the, that was the mentality. That was the passion that you gain from, from even bad experiences. And I don't know that, that we, that a lot of kids have that, have that same mentality or that same drive anymore. So that, that is something that I I try to bring back. It's so true. It is so so I tell a similar story to uh, both my boys. I didn't start playing baseball till I was 10 at the organized level. And I always wanted to be a catcher. Uh, and the first guy who stole on me in Little League, I came up and I threw an absolute seed to the right fielder, you know. And, uh, I mean, it, it went right to the right fielder. <laughs> um, and everybody's laughing. All my teammates are laughing. You know, I get in the car and after the game is – 
my dad, you know, basically without blinking says, man, you got a cannon. <laughs> you know? So he, he didn't really say, but it was at that moment where I basically said, you know, listen, that will not happen again. And, and you're right. I think the story is failure is perceived at the younger levels as incompetence. <laughs> when in reality, it's nothing more than training wheels. You know, when the body gets bigger, the body's going to move quicker, faster, stronger. But at the younger ages, we have to let these guys fall, fail, um, you know, whatever word we want to use. But I think that's a tremendous story because of that part of you at the very young age of 10 or 11 years old, it kind of carries through you throughout your entire career. Now, if you could bottle that, like, what would you tell a parent? I have a tough time trying to convey to a parent we have one decade to be a child and we, we, we somehow feel that there's always going to be an answer. And the harsh reality is, is that there, there really isn't always an answer. So how would you want to tell a young you know, parent of a, of a new youth baseball player? Yeah. Um, the path to follow. What, what would you share with them? I, I would, I like to go back to my path just because I, I wasn't pressured into anything, you know, there, there was decisions that I'll be honest, my first year playing, I, I, I stunk one game. I'll never forget that either. I stunk this one game and I told my dad, I didn't want to play anymore. And he said, no, you've committed to a team. This is what you're going to do. I ended up having a good year. And of course I love baseball since, but um, I, I do think the, the knee jerk reactions that we make to, I think a lot of parents think that if their kid isn't the best right now, that it's already over. And like you've said, there's so, so much growing to do physically. They're not capable of doing a lot of things yet. Just the physicality, they're not strong enough. And that's where I feel like we're missing in the development part, part of this game right now is we're trying to develop tools, meaning power. We're trying to create launch angle, um, exit velocity in a kid who really he, he can't do it yet he's physically not developed enough to do that so now we've been working on all this for i don't know how, how however long and he is physically developed but everything's broken down and and now he's really far behind because he doesn't even know how to play the game and he can't defend himself at all out there so i think that that's where we have to be very cognizant of of Letting the, letting the kid develop by himself. Let him run his own race because this game is really hard to play if you're not strong enough. Can you talk about the mental side of that too, the strength within to, to kind of – we're so geared in the social media war, uh, world with regard to rankings, uh, trophies, et cetera, accolades. Can you just kind of discuss – just as a baseball player as a whole, it's really every at-bat, every inning, now. Not what you did last inning, last game, what have you. Being present and being accountable for your now. Can you kind of approach that with that professional mindset, but yet thinking along the lines of the youth, the youth baseball Sure. Player? I mean, it's, it's understanding that that's the only thing that you can control is right now. And in this game, the only thing that you can really control is your effort and your attitude. Um, because there's so many things 
that, that are already stacked up against you. You get in the batter's box, it's nine versus one. Um, and there's an umpire. There might be a bad call. Um, there might be something that happens on the bases that, that kind of messes with your at bat. You, you don't know what it is, but I can always control my effort and my attitude. If I hit a ground ball to second, I can make sure that I run hard down the line. Um, I, I do think that we're losing that, that side of it from the youth level because we do put so much weight on the results of a game that really in the big scheme of things doesn't mean anything. And that's what's taking the joy away from these kids. So they're already going up there with the mentality of don't screw up. It's not go get a hit. It's not I'm looking for this pitch and I'm going to hit it this way. You know, this is my contact point. They, they don't think that way because they're so afraid of, of messing up. And it's because of the social, right? It's going to go on social media. Mom wants to put this on Facebook or whatever it is. Um, they, they want to provide them with that because they, they do. They, they, want to, they want their parents to be proud. And I think that that's, that's something that I know um, I took a ton of pride in as an amateur and obviously in my, in my professional career as well is, is I think parents need to understand that the, the game is hard and, and they're, they're trying. And there is some things that that need to develop before they they can be the player you think they can be. And and there's also a lot of a lot of passion that needs to come into that and some hard work and and that's the player's responsibility. I think if a parent can see that in their son or daughter, then then they can they can understand that that uh maybe they, there doesn't need to be that pressure there, that, that they'll they'll do it on their own and if you can't do it on, if they can't do it on their own, it's probably not going to work out anyways. When you look back, and I think it's important for parents to hear this perspective, we think that Division One baseball, it's the say-all, be-all. We have to be Division One, and nobody's going to come to watch us because who's going to scout a Division Two, Three, NAI, JUCO, et cetera? Can you just talk to the, what, what does a roster, what does an organization look like? When you show up into spring training, can you kind of speak to the not only the diversity within the minor leagues, but where these players are all coming from? I mean, every part of the world, every every division of baseball there is. I've, I've played with guys from junior college. I played um, Division Two, II, Division Three. I played with Eric Kratz. He went to Eastern Mennonite University. Um, only big leaguer to ever come from there, but. The most important thing is you have to go somewhere where you're going to play. This game is too hard to get better sitting the bench. You can't. It's not going to work. I remember when I was going through the recruiting process there, there was a lot of I, – I, I wanted to go play in the Pac-12. Um, it was the Pac-10 at that time. I don't mean to date myself, but um, that, that, was my, that was my mentality when I started – getting recruited was I'm going to go play in one of these big conferences. And I started to see really quick that if I wanted to play as a freshman and, and continue to, to keep developing and get to the big leagues, which obviously was my goal, I needed to play as a freshman and I needed to go to a place that, that was going to allow me to do that. And that, that's why I ended up actually choosing Santa Clara. It was a smaller program at the time, but it was close to home and, it, it was in reality going to be a place that I was going to show up and, and they expected me to be an impact player um, right away, which 
meant a lot to me because that's that's how I viewed myself at that time was was that sort of player. I, I couldn't see myself being happy sitting on the bench uh, as a freshman. But that that's what's so important is um, the, these kids, they, they come from everywhere. They come from – I've played with kids that, that grew up um, on dirt floors in the Dominican and signed for $1,000. Uh, you, you really are your – you're a big fish where you're coming from, but as soon as you get into a professional clubhouse, nobody cares about any of that anymore. You're all going for the same thing. You walk into a locker room, you see a lot of the Latin players, you know, laughing, singing. Um, some people look at it as being nonchalant, but in reality, uh, you're talking about a player that grows up in a much different culture, much different environment within the landscape of baseball. Can you just talk about the pure joy for the for the vast majority of teammates that you've had as Latin players? Because it's much different than the youth players, you know, from the U.S. You know, we have a structure, organized, strict lesson. Down there, they're hitting with broomsticks. They're hitting with – they're fielding with tuna cans and, you know, uh, cardboard boxes. So can you just talk about the mental approach that those – types of guys have day in and day out with a pure passion for the sport? Oh, I mean, I, I was so fortunate to, I got to spend two winters in the Dominican playing in, in the winter league there. Um, my, my first year I played there, I played in La Romana, which um, our resort where it was, where the imported players stayed, there was about a 25 minute drive to the stadium. Um, once, once we got outside the resort and it was incredible to see, all of the empty dirt fields, you know, there's a dirt field and then the oceans on the other side as you're driving down and they're all filled with kids playing baseball with no shoes on cardboard boxes on their hands. Um, a ball that's barely held together, but it, it was amazing to see also because that that's, it makes so much sense when it made so much more sense to me. Um, kind of, bringing everything together as, as to why some of the Latin players are the way that they are in the States. And I think we, we talk about some of the showboating and stuff now, but if you see where these guys come from, I think you'd understand a little bit more. And if you've ever seen a Dominican winter league game, that that's their major leagues. And it, it, it's really cool to see um, how much pride the, the native players take in that league. It's almost bigger for some of them than, than getting to the States and playing, playing with a double-A, triple-A affiliated team. Um, it, it's, a, it's a special place for me that, because it, it really changed my perspective on, on youth baseball, to be honest, because they, they come over here, a lot of them, and, and they are so much more ready for what a minor league um, – career is going to look like before you get to the big leagues because they've, they've grinded so hard already. They've been through so much just to get off that Island and, and get their opportunity in the complex. So that's another thing that I didn't realize I was going up against when, when I signed that first contract, I, I, I had never been around somebody from Latin America before. Um, not, not, not the Dominican at least. So it, it is a joy to see, it's refreshing to see the way that those kids uh, take, take a passion to the game. They'd be playing in the parking lot. 
they try to sneak in the stadium during batting practice. Just they didn't want an autograph from us. That was the amazing thing. They wanted a BP ball because they needed to go back out and get back to their game. Um, that 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 was one of the most refreshing things that that I I uh, was able to see out there. See, I love those types of stories, and I, and I to me it kind of puts some things in perspective. And sometimes I think rather than overcomplicating. Uh, over-organizing, um, less is probably more, you know, getting creative and, and letting things kind of happen organically in playgrounds and backyards and neighborhoods, et cetera, sometimes I think can be uh, a wonderful joy. If you could make one change in today's youth landscape, knowing what you know now as a, as a big leaguer and you're having such a long career, what, what would you want to try to let every student athlete and parent know at the youth league level? What, what matters and what doesn't? I think I'd get back to, to what I was talking about earlier is, is that no matter how good you are at this game and, and no matter how long you play, how much money you make, um, whatever school you go to, what, if you're an All-American, if you're the number one player in your class, you're going to be something else a lot longer than you get to play baseball. You're going to be a father. You're going to be a husband. You're going to be, you're going to be a coworker. You're, you're going to have to develop skills that they're going to keep you um, successful in life. And I think that, that the, the beautiful thing about baseball is the adversity that it brings to you. It, it teaches you how to deal with a lot of that. Um, for me, baseball is a, it's a life sport. It, it teaches you so many lessons. And, and I think if you allow it to, it can, it can really, really mold you as a person and, and show you a lot of work ethic and, and uh, really it can provide a lot of things for you even more than, than just financially. Well, I, for one, am greatly appreciative that our paths, more importantly, my son's path with you because I believe it reignited, re-energized uh, pre-injury, I guess is the best way to do it. And I am forever grateful for everything that you taught Tyler, talked about with Tyler, you know, enjoyed as teammates with, with regard to that 2016 season. I can still see that game against Hartford when the kid tried to bunt in the ninth inning and I saw your body language, I saw his body language and I was fired up. So I think it's something special that you, that you do as catchers for, for, for guys like, especially uh, a guy like Tyler. No, I mean, it was my pleasure. And obviously, like I, like I told you, that's one of the more talented arms I, I uh, ever had the pleasure to catch. And I'm so happy that he was able to, to make a full recovery and get back where he belongs. Um, it's a spe special, special person there. And congratulations to, to him and his wife. I, I know that uh, he said his well wishes. I will let him know that you and I both had a great conversation. All of the parents uh, that sent in their questions were really engaged and intrigued. And I thought that you would be as great as you ended up being. So I am very appreciative of you taking an hour out of your time and sharing such great insight and offering such great kind of suggestions and examples for the younger guys as they're making their way forward. In the game. No, I appreciate you having me and, and any time that I, uh, I can help out. I'd, I'd love, I'd love to help you guys out anytime. Thank you. Well, that, that will be definite for sure. Want to let parents know a couple of things. I think it's key to, to let parents in first and foremost, 
we our website is up and running and I, and I got a lot of questions today I was traveling back from the left coast um, here's the purpose of the masters of baseball and, and I want to make this as clear uh, and succinct as I can you as a parent every single day and you as a student athlete every single day are faced with questions you're faced with concerns and you need real answers but you need answers from people that are going to be honest that are informed and they're experienced and i think in today's world being you know as we just heard from steve larude experience matters it is becomes a part of your academic you know educational ability to to help parents and student athletes i literally talk to at least on average between 10 and 15 parents and student athletes the vast majority just simply call and reach out and ask me a question and, and i'm happy to answer that i want parents to understand that for less than the cost of a baseball bat a brand new baseball bat for less than a cost of a showcase or a camp for the course over the course of a year you're going to have access to Butch, myself, people such as Steve, people, former players, former executives, current executives, current college coaches at every level. And I think that matters. And I think it's important for you to understand that's the sole purpose of the Masters of Baseball. We've created seventh inning stretch to give insight, you know, from former players, uh, former evaluators, scouts, et cetera, college coaches. I think that's important to hear for parents. So the mastersofbaseball.com is now live. We have newsletters. We have a lot of, but you have access to Butch, myself, Brian, who is now in a world with regard to the mental skill set development of not only student athletes, but parents. And I feel that we've taken the time to put something together that is I won't say life-altering, but sport-altering. And yes, we sell books. Yes, we have guests. You have a lot of decisions on who you want to trust your children with. I will tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that had I had access to somebody like Butch as a dad in 2005 through 2011, my path would have been a lot more enjoyable, would have been a lot less nerve-wracking. I would have saved valuable resources, time. That's why we do these discussions. That's why we have these guests. All of our guests share the same passion and excitement, but basic joy for the sport of baseball. So I want to encourage parents, follow Masters of Baseball. Subscribe to the newsletter. If you don't feel that a membership is worth the $25 a month or, 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 or anything like that, that's fine. But <laughs> stick around for the newsletter. And I want to let parents understand, you know, this isn't like four guys who are all singing the same tune. This is four adults that see things and discuss. And we value each other's opinions. And we value your families decisions as it pertains to the sport of baseball not everybody wants to be a division one athlete i get that do you want to enjoy those 10 years of playing the sport which for the vast majority is the 
the, the you know the career length of a, of a youth baseball player. For those fortunate enough to go on to college and potentially professional baseball, we have some insight that may offer you uh, you know the guidance necessary to make sure that your son, and more importantly, as a forty-year decision and not just a two or four-year decision, maybe we'll offer you some insight that'll help with those decisions. So I wanted to say that to people, I get asked a lot of times, you know, about uh, other people. And I tell people all the time, adults will always have disagreements. I can see the sky is partly sunny and somebody can see it as partly cloudy. doesn't mean either one of us is wrong, but with it, with baseball, what matters most, most is experience, experience at the higher levels, because the heat that we have felt, not only as players, but as parents, or in Butch's case, as a major league national cross-checker, Steve LaRue as a major league player, that's elite. And I think that adds value to our Masters of Baseball. Also want to discuss, I had two people ask me about the books. And I'm putting this out there because this will be on a podcast, and I want to make sure I'm crystal clear on this. My books are based on what I have experienced as a player, as a coach, and most importantly, as a dad. I have made a lot of mistakes. And in those books are my thoughts, my feelings, my experiences. And I feel it's important to share. And that's why I put those books out. People want to buy them, great. But in those books, those are my words, my experiences, my thoughts, my opinions. Butch and I and Brad and Brian, we're going to be doing our books with all of these quality conversations that we have with these coaches. I simply want to make sure that parents and student athletes, when you listen to this, wherever you're listening to it, there's no motive. There's no modus of operandi. We're not thinking about analytics. We're not thinking about how many people are coming to listen. We simply want to provide a resource, a platform where you have a voice, where you can simply ask a question and get a real answer based on experience. So now next week on that note, we are going to do a live feed And it's important for parents and student-athletes to understand we're not going to be here. We're going to be on Twitter, but it won't be a Twitter space. We're going to be on Facebook. We're going to be on YouTube. We're going to be on Instagram. And it's going to have the chat forum where you'll be able to type in your questions. We're going to have Brett Saberhagen, two-time Cy Young Award winner, signed out of high school. We're going to have an executive from Little League, Dan Velt. He is a senior administrator at Little League Corporate in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. We are going to have Douglas Bates, who is a college, former college player, Phil Davidson, Butch, and myself. You will see us live and in person. And we are going to do this because we want to discuss the topic of youth baseball. It's Little League season, it's high school season, it's college baseball, and it's Major League opening day, minor league seasons are underway. We want to do this once a month, and we're going to have great guests once a month. We'll have uh, former players, current players, former coaches, current coaches, 
And you're going to be able to have access to us to get real answers to real questions. You think Little League is done? I don't think Little League feels that way. And they're going to be coming on and they're going to give us their thoughts on where they see the game going. So we're going to kind of get a little bit innovative. We're going to get a little bit creative. Uh, we're going to surf a different wave. Uh, and that all starts next week, 9 p.m. Eastern time. We'll probably be on for 90 minutes because I got a feeling this is going to be what, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that find their way to this. You know, I, I feel both Butch and I feel we kind of started this Twitter space kind of baseball world. And now we're going to kind of take it to a different platform and allow people to to see us, to see our reactions, to hear our guests and to see their reactions. It's a live stream. We'll put it on our YouTube channel. We'll, we'll make it available for people that, that might not be able to make it. I believe we will have in some way, shape or form a podcast version of our discussion as well. Uh, but that is going to be our Masters of Baseball live stream, um, kind of an offshoot of our seventh inning stretch. Next week, 9 p.m., Brett Saberhagen, uh, Dan Velt, executive with Little League. We may have the corporate CEO of Little League, Steve Keener, but he has uh, just had a surgical procedure. But we're going to get deep. We're going to talk youth baseball, the good, the bad, the indifferent, the agreements, the disagreements. So I thank everybody for joining us tonight. I encourage you strongly to sign up for the newsletter for the Masters of Baseball. Give our website a a look-see. And uh, if you have anybody that is curious about next week that hasn't listened to us, have them join us next week uh, because Butch and I will will have our our four guests and we're going to talk all things youth baseball. So I want to say thank you to Steve. You are a tremendous, tremendous mentor for the sport of baseball. And I deeply appreciate you taking the time with us tonight. Um, And parents, uh, this is a resource. If you have access to Steve, follow him. Uh, I'm sure he'll engage with you and help you in in any capacity that he has the ability to do so. Um, Butch, I'll see you on the left coast again soon. I want to thank everybody for coming in tonight and joining us. And next week, 9 p.m., you don't want to miss it. So thank you to everybody and talk to everybody next week.